Hello and welcome to the Diction Police. I'm your host, Ellen Rissinger, an American vocal coach accompanist on the music staff of the Zemperoper in Dresden, Germany. This week, we're getting really specific and talking about French diction of the 16th century. Specialist Olivier Betin is with us, covering the Ronsard poem Mignonne à l'ouvre si la rose, focusing on the differences between modern French and the pronunciation of the 16th century. This topic came up because there was a question posted on the Facebook page this past summer asking about resources specifically for medieval French diction. It's not a topic that I'd ever really dealt with, so I immediately started emailing all my contacts for suggestions of coaches or resources. And through friends of friends of friends of friends, I heard about the website Chantez-vous Français, which is the basis of this episode. Chantez-vous Français, under the website virga, V-I-R-G-A dot org, is the labor of love of Olivier Betin, our guest for today. And when you go to the website, you'll see why I fell in love with it immediately. Olivier goes through the pronunciation of medieval and Baroque French, discussing in detail his sources, the vowels, diphthongs, consonants, and the rhythm of the poetry, all organized in outline form so that you can pick the topic you want from the homepage. There are a few topics waiting to be fleshed out still, like French Latin, which he's working on right now. Most of the website is in French, so it takes some time to sort through it. And trust me, you don't want to use Google Translate because this language is very specific. It's an amazing resource, and as soon as I saw it, I emailed Olivier and I asked for an interview. All this to say, thank you so much to the listener who posed the question, and please everyone keep the questions coming. I do my best to respond to them. It may not always be in time for immediate needs, but it helps us all when I have something specific to look for. Now a few people have asked me, how can anyone be sure how they pronounced French in the Middle Ages? So I asked Olivier this too, and here's his response. Il y a des alphabets phonétiques, il y en a trois ou quatre différents pour le XVIe siècle. C'est des grammairiens, il y a un grammairien qui s'appelle euh, Maigret, mm -hmm. comme le commissaire. Il y a un poète qui s'appelle Pelletier du Mans, et puis il y a le poète Baïf, qui a écrit 15 000 vers en phonétique. Ce qui fait qu'on connaît très bien, on a, une, on a une vision très précise de la diction poétique au XVIe siècle déjà. Prononciation.org. Et là, on a une bibliographie où on peut chercher toutes sortes d'ouvrages. Il y a 500 ressources, à peu près, 350 ressources sur la prononciation ancienne du français. There are three or four phonetic dictionaries from the 16th century. Louis Maigret, Jacques Pelletier du Mans, and Jean-Antoine de Baïf, who wrote 15,000 verses with his own phonetics. Because of these resources, we can have a very precise understanding of the diction of the 16th century. The website prononciation.org, spelled the French way and not pronunciation like in English, It includes a bibliography of 364 references on the subject. I looked at it myself, and the list includes the first dictionary that the Academy put out in 1694, some poetry that was phoneticized already back in 1573, some article that Olivier himself has written, and discourses on the pronunciation from the early 1500s, plus modern didactic books with exercises for us to practice our medieval French diction. For anyone who wants to delve further into this topic, I'll post links to Chantez-vous Français 
and the pronunciation bibliography, as well as posting a PDF of the text for today at the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. Don't forget the the. You can also follow the Diction Police on Facebook or on Twitter at Diction Police. Our text for today is Mignonne à l'Ouvre si la Rose by Pierre de Ronsard, an extremely prolific poet of the 16th century. Born in France, in his youth he was a page in the Scottish court, and there translated classical authors into French. He was set to be a diplomat, but due to deafness, he devoted himself to his studies in Paris, and there joined a group of poets, sometimes called the Pleiades, which brings us back to Greek mythology again, who were dedicated to proving that the French of the time was a language worthy of great literature by imitating the classics. Ronsard was the most famous and most published of the group, and apparently either loved or hated by everybody with no middle ground. Now, I will readily admit that I had a difficult time translating this interview. The topics are so specific, and I don't know my way around it so well. And in going through the interview again, I realized a few places that I didn't translate so well. So in the interests of clarity, I sometimes redid my side of the conversation. I hope it doesn't become too choppy. Mignonne, allons voir si la rose, qui ce matin avouait déclose sa robe de pourpre au soleil, a point perdu cette vêpre, le lit de sa robe pourpre, et son teint au votre pareil. Là, voyez comment peu d'espace, mignonne est là, dessus la place, et là, ses beautés laissent chouer. Ah, vraiment, meurâtre nature, puis qu'une telle fleur ne dure que du matin jusqu'aux au soir. Donc, si vous me croyez, mignonne, tandis que votre âge fleuronne en sa plus verte nouveauté, Cueillez, cueillez votre jeunesse, comme à cette fleur la vieillesse fera ternir votre beauté. That was Olivier Betin reading Mignonne à l'ouvrir si la rose. Let's just talk about the things that are different. Yes. Because we have the same things like we have liaison. Il y a des liaisons, bien sûr. Mm -hmm. La règle est assez simple pour les liaisons. Il y a une unité, hein? c'est le vert. Yeah. Hein? Le, le vert, c'est l'unité à l'intérieur de laquelle toutes les liaisons se font, toujours. So we always make liaisons, no matter all, what. Always, all liaisons, même celles qui seraient insupportables dans la, la langue parlée. So even the ones that that now in modern French would not be done, or were always done then. Mm -hmm. Toujours, always. Mm -hmm. Sauf peut-être, parfois, à la césure du verre. Le verre de dissyllabe, décasyllabe, a une césure après la quatrième syllabe. All liaisons, even the ones that would not have been said in spoken language, would have been made, except sometimes in the break of a verse. In a verse of ten syllables, there is a break after the fourth syllable, and there we would not make a liaison. Mm -hmm. Donc la grammaire, la syntaxe, les virgules, la ponctuation n'a aucune importance. Oh, so the punctuation had absolutely, absolutely no function. 
de toute façon, dans les sources anciennes, la, la ponctuation est très différente de la ponctuation moderne. Ok, so the punctuation was so different and it didn't change. Mm -hmm, tout à fait. Yeah. One of the sounds that I noticed was different was the OI combination. Yes. Yes. OI se prononce vraiment comme ouais. Ouais. So it's like a W open E sound. W very open E. Yeah. Very open. Toutes les sources, hein, toutes les, les sources historiques mm -hmm. disent la même chose. On a pour le 16e siècle déjà des alphabets phonétiques en français qui prescrivent tous ouais. So every source actually says the same thing that this really is W E. Ça c'est quelque chose qui est très certain dans le dans la, la, la reconstruction. This is one of the things that we know definitely from the old texts. Every source agrees that the OI spelling was pronounced we, W open E. And what I notice in the mignon is the spelling mignon allons A L L O S. Il y a un petit trait sur le haut, hein, une, une sorte de tilde sur le haut. Exactly. Figure un N. Okay, so the, the accent above the O is actually in place of the N. N. Celui au-dessus de mignonne aussi. Hein, il y a deux N après le O. Just like in the name mignonne, there's two N's after the O, but because they put the accent mark on the O, that signifies an N as well. Voilà. Uh, so that would be allons, just the same way we would say allons in mm -hmm. modern French. Alors, allons. Hein, là, pour cette époque, j'utilise une prononciation un peu archaïque. Des, okay. des voyelles nasales mm -hmm. en commençant par une voyelle orale et puis en terminant par quelque chose de nasal. Par exemple, le son A-N-A-N, aujourd'hui, on le prononce en. À cette époque, c'était plutôt A. So, what he's saying is that the, the nasal back then was slightly different. You would actually say a plain vowel voilà. and then a nasal sound after it. Voilà. Aujourd'hui, on dirait mignonne à long et à l'époque on disait probablement mignonne à long comme U-M-G un hein, um, um, le yeah. U-Bung allemand So obviously I was wrong when I said the pronunciation of allons would be the same as now In modern French we would say allons with a nasal O but back then they probably finished the word with an N-G sound the N with the hook on the right Allons And then again we have we have our O-I right after that so that's voir And then the next word, what looks like an F to our modern eyes, that's actually an S, right? It's an S, yes. Yeah, because we see that all over these texts, that that, that S voilà. looks like a big old F without a cross on it. Tout à fait. L'usage ici, c'est d'utiliser cette forme allongée du S à l'intérieur et au début des mots, et on garde la forme la plus conventionnelle pour la fin des mots. Par Je... exemple, le, le lisse, hein, euh, un, deux, ah. troisième ligne, le lisse yes. est à la fin du mot, hein, yes. end of the word, yes. et il y a un S normal. Aussi soleil, au début d'une phrase. Au début, voilà, pour la majuscule, oui, pour la yeah. majuscule, the, the big letter, yes. Exactly, so, so what we're saying is that, that in the middle of words, they would use this big F-looking letter for an S, mm -hmm. but at mm -hmm. the end of a word, like in lys, L-Y-S, or at the beginning of a phrase or a stanza like soleil, then we have the capital S or we have a regular S to exactly. our, that we recognize. Yeah, mm -hmm. and while we're on the word L-Y-S, We don't say the S in that word, huh? Mm -hmm. la, la règle ici, 
c'est de prononcer toujours le S devant une voyelle. Si le mot suivant commence par une voyelle, le lis orangé ou le lis étoilé, mm -hmm. là, on ferait une liaison. Z. Yeah. Mais devant une consonne, okay. on ne le prononce pas. Okay, so the rule is just like any liaison, if this S were in front of a, a word that began with a vowel, then we would use it as a liaison, then it would become a Z sound. Mm -hmm. But because the next word doesn't start with a vowel, we wouldn't say the S at all. Exactement. Et la question, c'est à la rime, à la fin du vers. Et là, la question est ouverte. On peut le faire ou pas. At the end of a verse, this is optional. If a word like LYS comes at the end of a verse, you could choose to say the S or not. In modern French, LYS is pronounced lis, right? In normal French, lis. In old French, li. It's a long Okay, so it's a long E in the Because of the S. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that I noticed a lot in this is that he uses the letters U and I instead of V and J. So in that second line there, we have A-U-O-I-T. So again, we have our O-I that becomes a W. Ah, yes, avoir. Mm -hmm. C'est la même lettre. Hein? U, V, c'est la même lettre. Et là aussi, on utilise... Le V, hein, la forme V au début du mot. Et partout ailleurs, on utilise le, la forme U. Yeah, okay, so V and U were considered the same letter. Yes. So in the middle of a word, we use a U instead of a V. But mm -hmm. at the beginning, like we have in Vepri, then we have, the, then we have a V. But if a, if a printer of the 16th century would write usage, he write it, à la dernière ligne de la page, une, puis qu'une telle fleur dure, on a le U de une qui est un V. Yeah, so what, he, what he's saying is that the U at the, be, at the beginning of the word would also be spelled like a V because basically they're yes. the exact same letter. Oui. Actually, in the third line, there's a letter that I don't recognize. And I think the word is point or something like that. But there's a letter before the T, or there's something before the T in that. Point. P-O-I-N-C-T, c'est ça? Ah, the C, okay. It's the C, with a, avec une ligature sur le T. Ah, okay. So it's a C-T with a big connecting voilà. line over it. Et ça, c'est juste un rappel de l'étymologie du mot qui mm. vient de punctum, latin. Punctum. Et dans l'orthographe. D'imprimerie, on ajoutait le C pour rappeler que ça vient du mot punctum avec un C. The word point, P-O-I-N-T, comes from the Latin word punctum. And when it was taken into French, they kept the C for etymological reasons. So here we have P-O-I-N, C and T together with a ligature. Etymological letter, character. Uh -huh. It serves the same function as just a T. Yes, but le T est utilisé pour la liaison. Donc, il a une certaine réalité. Que le C est fictif, hein? c'est une lettre fictive. Il est, il est seulement là, mais... Pour mais faire joli. So, the, the CT, basically, the C doesn't function. It's just to make it look pretty. Yes. And we get the same thing as son teint. Son teint, exactement. Yeah. And like you said, then the T makes the liaison to the O. Son teint au votre pareil. Oh, and there we have the different, the other nasal. Teint. Hein? Et là, c'est une nasale un peu diphtongue, hein, puisqu'il yeah. y a un I. C'est 
c'est une diphtongue nasale. Tentovot. Et un little I, et après in tent. So it's really closed lowercase e, and then a closed lowercase i, and then our n. Exactement. Wow. votre pareil. And basically, anytime we would say the un nasal, like matin, in modern French, we want to use that un. Pas matin. Matin, il n'y a pas de diphtongue. Matin, matin. Mais plein, P-L-A-I-N, plein. Un, avec un petit i. Okay, so he's saying matin is actually the, the open e. Matin. Un, open e, et après nasalisation. Exactly. Ten, matin. In a word like matin, M-A-T-I-N, we just get a regular open e, and then the N-G sound. So phonetically, the N with the hook on the right. Matin. Mais l'orthographe est très conservatrice par yeah. rapport aux lettres. Par exemple, dans le texte de, de Ronsard, on a Vepré, hein? Vepré, qui s'écrit V-I-S-P. Hein? Exactly. The orthography of a language changes very slowly. For example, in the word Vepré, which has an S in the first syllable, V-E-S-P-R-E-E. And that, again, there, we don't say the S, but they also didn't put the accent marks. Nowadays, that first E would have, a, or the second E in that oh. word, would have an accent aigu. Tout à fait. Alors, c'est une marque souvent de longueur. Hein? La, à cette époque, on faisait vraiment bien la différence entre les syllabes brèves et les syllabes longues. Mm -hmm. Et là, c'est vepréer et non pas vepréer. The accent aigu, the acute accent, is usually a mark that shows length. At the time, there was a strong difference between a long and short syllable. Just like we saw before with li, l-y-s, when the s is unpronounced, the preceding vowel will be lengthened, li. Or, if the s is pronounced, then it's a short syllable, lis. As Olivier demonstrates here with vepri. We have that in every language. I mean, that's why in English we talk about feet, and that they have long syllables and short syllables. Mm -hmm. Voilà. Alors en français moderne, on a oublié ces distinctions syllabe longue, syllabe brève, mais en, encore au XVIe siècle, on était très sensible à ces différences de, de longueur. Nowadays, we don't make a distinction in modern French of the long and, uh, long and short syllable, but at that point, at that time, it was a very important thing. In words like cueillir and vieillesse, mm -hmm. you're actually It's... saying the L, aren't you? Oui, c'est un L mouillé, hein, un L palatal, comme on dit, et il se prononce comme dans le mot italien filio tagliatel, hein, okay. c'est lié, lié. Yeah, it's the, the lambda symbol voilà. in phonetics, yeah. Voilà, c'est exactement. Euh, mais les Parisiens, les gens de Paris, n'arrivaient pas à prononcer cette, euh, ce son, et très vite, ils l'ont transformé en, en iode. Hein? Yeah. Comme on prononce aujourd'hui. Hein? Aujourd'hui, on prononce vieillesse. C'est de la faute des Parisiens. Yeah. <laughs> so he says the, the Parisians didn't say this lambda L in the middle of the word like that. They would say cueillir even then. And so he says that it's their fault nowadays that, we, that that I, L, L functions as a J-glide instead of as a lambda. Exactement. <laughs> At the end of that sentence, we have the word jeunesse. And the I functions the same way as the UV word that worked, then I guess I and J would too. Voilà. C'est le même mécanisme que pour le U et le V. Hein? Yeah. Il y a une seule lettre qui est une 
une fois voyelle, une fois consonne. Yeah, so it's it's one letter that stands for two different, basically two different letters, two different sounds. Voilà. Oui. Yeah, and actually at the top of the second half of this, so at, after matin, we have what in a, if we were saying this in modern French, it would be jusque en français moderne, on dirait jusque. À l'époque, les deux usages existent. Certains grammairiens disent jusque et d'autres disent jusque. Je sais plus ce que j'ai dit. Je crois que j'ai dit jusque dans l'enregistrement. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Voilà. <laughs> Alors, les deux sont possibles. Okay, so in this sense, when he read it, he didn't read the S, but uh, so he did, he said jusque. Jusque est possible avec un U long ou alors jusque est aussi possible. Okay, so both of them are possible. You have the choice there. A nouveauté. The other. Nouveauté. Ah voilà, c'est la, la c'est la petite diphtongue. Nouveauté. Là, on a un cheval muet, hein, yeah. qui, qui sert de glissante, hein, qui sait qui fonctionne comme un glide. Hein, en yeah. Beauté. Oh my gosh, so the E in those words actually functions as a glide. It's not, oui, it's not mute the way it is nowadays. Voilà. What, what phonetic letter would that glide be? On utiliserait le E renversé, hein, le, le schwa, avec une fonction de, de glissante, hein, de glide. Okay, so he, we use just a regular schwa for that glide, mm -hmm. but again with the glide feeling, so as opposed to, as opposed to it being a syllable by itself. Mm -hmm. The letter S looks funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Beaucoup de S s'écrivent à cette époque, mais ne se prononcent pas. Right. Et normalement, la situation est très proche, déjà au XVIe siècle, de l'usage d'aujourd'hui. Mm -hmm. Si on ne sait pas, si on hésite, il faut faire comme on prononcerait, comme les Français prononceraient aujourd'hui. Se prononcer au XIe siècle encore, XIIe siècle, mais après c'était terminé. Just like now, many S's were written during this time period that weren't pronounced. They had been pronounced through the 11th and 12th centuries, but by the 16th century, which is what we're looking at today, basically any S that wouldn't be pronounced in modern French will also not be pronounced in this text. The next thing I asked about was the combination of the letters E-U. Toujours fermé, E. Yeah. Toujours E, jamais E. Donc, en, en français moderne, on dira la peur, hein? yeah. mais on dit la fleur, hein? mm -hmm. tandis qu'à l'époque, on dit la fleur. Yeah. On ne connaît que le son fermé. Okay, so Jeunesse, the, fleur. Yeah, the EU combination is always a closed vowel here. Exactement. So we don't have to worry about whether it's open or closed, and that's kind of fun. <laughs> um, and the same thing then with cueilli, that that would stay closed. Ouais, voilà. Cueilli avec le L. Lambda, hein, le L. Yes. Cueillier. Cueillier. <laughs> And nouveauté, then the AU then is also closed, right? Ah, ou c'est un O. Hein, c'est un O. Yeah. Ou plutôt ouvert. À cette époque, on n'a pas de distinction claire entre O fermé et O ouvert. Hein. Okay. On connaît en français aujourd'hui. À l'époque, il y a un O qui est un peu variable, mais pas de manière très claire. Donc on va dire nouveauté, So at that time, there was no real distinction between an open and a closed O. They were the same sound, varying somewhere between the modern open and closed O's. Mm -hmm. So we, we would have the same O in floron. 
Voilà. Mais là, moi, j'ai tendance, mais c'est personnel, hein, j'ai tendance mm -hmm. à le fermer un peu plus quand il est suivi par une euh, consonne nasale, fle, nasale, fleurone, mais nouveauté. Mais ça, c'est personnel, c'est vraisemblable, mais ça n'est pas obligatoire. Olivier has the tendency to close the O more when it's followed by a nasal consonant. But that's a personal choice because of the sound and not an absolute rule. So I just wanted to quickly review the rules that we talked about today so that I'm sure they're clear. All liaisons in the middle of a verse should be made, except after the fourth syllable in a verse of ten syllables. The punctuation has no bearing on the diction. So, for example, we wouldn't not make a liaison because of a comma. The main differences in the vowel sounds are the OI combination, which nowadays would be WA phonetically like moi or voir, turns into we, WE. The combination EU is always a closed E, the O slash, which makes life a little easier for us. And the O vowel, spelled either with an O or as AU, was something between the modern open and closed O, so we don't have to memorize the rules there either. We also had a new glide sound here. In the combination EAU, as we saw in nouveauté, the initial E actually functions as a schwa glide into that sort of middle O created by the AU. The nasal vowels were built differently in the 16th century. Rather than a single nasal sound, they were followed by the NG sound, which is the N with the hook curving in on the right. And notice that an EI followed by an N was actually a diphthong into that ng sound and not just one vowel. Many S's were written during this time period that weren't pronounced. They had been pronounced through the 11th and 12th centuries, but by the 16th century, which is what we're looking at today, Basically, any S that wouldn't be pronounced in modern French will also not be pronounced in this text. And if an S isn't pronounced, the preceding vowel is lengthened. At the beginning or the middle of a word, an S looks to us like an F without that crossbar. But at the end of a word or the beginning of a verse when it's a capital letter, the S will look like an S as we know it. This brings out the Greek part of my brain which has very similar rules of orthography with the S, even today. The combination we had here of I-L-L-E, which in modern French is phoneticized as closed lowercase i followed by a j-glide, back then was a closed lowercase i followed by a palatal lambda L. The letters U and V were considered the same letter, as were I and J. Just as the S looks different in different positions, any time a J or U would be needed at the beginning of a word, there'll be an I or a V. But in the middle of the words, it's just the reverse. It's actually not as complicated as it sounds when you look at it. And that's it for this episode. In the next one, Olivier and I move on to 17th century French diction. In the meantime, to find out more about Olivier Betin, for a link to his website, Chantez-vous Français, or if you have any questions or comments for me, Ellen Rissinger, please visit the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and leave a comment, or post and tweet about it on Twitter and Facebook so that others can find it and benefit from it. Thanks for listening. See you next week.